0: I want to talk about something peculiar. Have you guys ever read a verse that you didn't like? Yes. Or that seemed really weird to you? Yes. There are verses sometimes that we read that we don't understand. I'm going to read you guys a few of them that I struggled with for a long time. I could not come to grips with them. I just want to read over them. And here they are. The references you can get later if you want, but they're all from the Psalms. David said concerning his enemies, how long, O God, will you allow your enemies to mock you? Will you let them dishonor your name forever? Why do you hold back your strong right hand? Unleash your powerful fist and deliver a death blow. He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. God will lay hold of his enemies, swallowing them up in his wrath. His fire will consume them, their descendants will be destroyed. And their wicked schemes will not prevail. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. Let the wicked be put to shame and lie silent in the grave. The wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies will be like the beauty of the fields. They will vanish, vanish like smoke. They are laid in the grave. Death will feed on them. The upright will have dominion over them, and they will be consumed. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. Let them melt away and be cut into pieces. O Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors consume them in wrath consume them till they are no more In your unfailing love silence my enemies destroy all my foes for i am your servant the face of the lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth i'd read that stuff and i think man that's scary i kind of want to just pretend like it's not even there almost it's so it's so wrathful for many years i just put it off and i finally just said god i want to know what that's in there for me. I mean, I understand David had real physical enemies trying to kill him and he he was asking God, you know, like, get rid of them. They're trying to destroy me and they're just doing it out of their own evil hearts. But I thought, why is this in there for all Christians? God wrote his Bible for us, not just for David, right? So why is this in there for us? What can I get out of that? And so I was begging God, please show me what I can get out of those verses. We just talked a lot about this. There's so much that we can get out of the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, everything. And I want to read over stuff and just not get anything out of it. So I was asking God, what can I get out of this stuff? What can I get out of this stuff? And a light bulb went on. Okay, now if any of you guys were at the retreat over the weekend, we talked about the power of the Spirit and Him working in our lives. And we talked about how He illuminates God's Word to us. How many of you guys remember that? Okay, the rest of you guys should check it out on Trained by Faith. And the other talks, too, they're all up there, and they're all really, really good, especially Aaron's. Aaron, I think, did the best talk on God's love I've ever heard in my life. It was amazing. So anyway, in 1 Corinthians 2.12, talks about how the Holy Spirit illuminates to us God's word, where he teaches us God's word, right? So as I thought of those verses, the light bulb that went on was David was talking about physical enemies that were fighting him, I don't have those physical enemies. The enemies that I have are spiritual enemies. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, it talks about our enemy being a spiritual enemy. It talks about the same thing in Ephesians 6. And I started realizing there's a real spiritual enemy that is warring against me, trying to drag me down. That enemy is Satan, right? That enemy is also my own flesh, my own sinful nature. How many of us deal with sin that constantly tries to distract us from God or temptation? So I started thinking of those verses in that light, thinking about things like my critical attitude. That's a big sin for me. And thinking, God, destroy my critical attitude. Cut it to pieces. Let death feed on it. Doesn't that make sense? Destroy it. I want to see you just annihilate that critical attitude of mine. So as I began looking through it, It just, man, I began enjoying these passages, getting so much out of them. So think about it like this. How long, O God, will you allow Satan? I'm just going through it kind of with some of those spiritual enemies in it. How long, O God, will you allow Satan to mock you in my life? Will you let him dishonor your name forever? Why do you hold back your strong right hand? Unleash your powerful fist and deliver a death blow to my tempter. He will repay him for tempting me to sin and destroy him for his wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy him. The Lord watches over all those who love him, and he will destroy my sinful nature. Isn't that true? i got this flesh that wants to fight against God. Well, I can ask God to destroy that, you know. Keep me from falling. Keep me from sinning against you. God, lay hold of my pride. Swallow it up in your wrath. Let your fire consume it. Let all it produces in my life be destroyed. And don't let its wicked schemes prevail. Evil will slay my apathy, and it will be condemned. Let my anger be put to shame and lie silent in the grave. My selfishness will perish. It will be like the beauty of the fields. It will vanish, vanish like smoke. My temptations are laid in the grave. Death will feed on them. The upright will have dominion over them. Isn't that great? The upright will have dominion over those temptations and they will be consumed. Let evil recoil on my gossip, and your faithfulness destroy it. Let my insecurities melt away and cut into pieces. O Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, rouse yourself to destroy my fear. Show it no mercy. Consume it in wrath. Consume it till it is no more. In your unfailing love, silence my lust. Destroy it, for I am your servant." And then this is awesome. The face of the Lord is against my sin to cut off the remembrance of it from the earth. When I talk about cutting off the remembrance of it from the earth, it brought to mind Psalm 103, 12, where God said he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. He cuts its remembrance off from the earth. Isn't that a neat perspective? Now whenever I read through the Psalms and I see those things, I start going in my mind to all the things that, that prevent me from taking my next step in my walk with God, and I start asking God, destroy that thing that keeps me from drawing closer to you. Because I, I don't know about you guys, but I want to draw closer to God. I don't want to just be where I'm at now, but I want to be able to take the next step and then the next step and then the next step to really put Him first in every area of my life and become more and more like Jesus. Don't you want to be more like Jesus? Don't you want to love people? Don't you want to have Jesus' character and demeanor in every aspect of your life? Well, see, those sins, they, they prevent us from that. It comes down to this, guys. There are two different extremes in how we view our sin. A lot of us can look at sin... And we can get into self-condemnation. And I've talked with a lot of you guys, and a lot of you guys have talked to me about this. But that's where you really, you almost wonder, does God even love me anymore? Does God even forgive me anymore? Did I sin one too many times? That's baloney. In Romans 8.1, it says, if you've accepted his free gift of salvation, there is no condemnation for you. Bottom line. You're his son. So your sin is not going to separate you from God ever again. So don't live in self-condemnation. Don't live in this place of thinking, God hates me, God doesn't love me, God doesn't want me. Okay? There's another extreme that a lot of Christians go to. In Romans 6.15 it says, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. And that's this idea of grace being a license. There are a lot of us that will think, well... You know, God's going to forgive me, so that sin's not that big a deal. We almost get like a shallow idea of sin. Like, since God forgives it, it's no big deal. It's just some small little sin. We fail to recognize the gravity that our sin really has. I want to mention what the gravity is and then talk about the correct way to view that sin, guys, because this is part of victory over it and living the life that Christ has for us. So what does sin do to the believer, to each of us? What happens when I sin? It has natural consequences. So before the spiritual, it has natural consequences. There are physical consequences for you. You might have to go to jail. You might end up having a child out of wedlock. People have that situation happen. There's a student here on campus right now that's going to be a dad next week, and he is freaking out about it right now. Uh, He doesn't know Christ yet, but God is really working on him because of that. But see, there are real consequences to our sin. Physical consequences. And that has nothing to do with God's forgiveness or not. It's just, you know, I do something and there's a physical consequence to that. And then there are also physical consequences for others. Our sin never impacts just us. Never. It always impacts the people around us. Even if it's stuff that's secret that we think doesn't impact other people, it's going to impact how we relate to other people. It's going to impact whether or not they receive what God wants me to be giving them it's going to impact them in big ways so it has natural consequences on me and on the people around me then it has spiritual consequences guys in Hebrews 3:13 it says that sin hardens us so every little sin God does forgive it but every single sin it's hardening me a little more a little more a little more isn't that true too? First time, it's hard. The second time, it's easy. Third time, it's a little easier. And see, it hardens us. We get hardened by it. I don't want to be hard, right, guys? Don't you want to be sensitive to God? Don't you want to be sensitive to His Holy Spirit? I don't want to be hardened to Him, where I become selfish and have a wall built up because of my sin. Here's the other thing. Sin prevents fellowship with God. And I want you to understand the difference between relationship and fellowship. Your relationship with God... Is that you're his child, right? You're his child. That's because you accepted a free gift. That relationship is secure, and your sin is not going to take that away from you. Does that make sense? Your relationship is secure. So when you sin, your relationship is unaffected. But your fellowship, your interaction with God, your communication with God, and experiencing God working in your life, that is affected when we sin. And the Bible tells us that in 1 Peter 3.7. It says that our sin, that's speaking specifically to husbands about how they relate with their wives. It says that that sin will affect their prayers. So our communication with God is affected by that sin. So our relationship is secure, but our fellowship with God when we sin, there's a barrier set up. Here's another thing. Sin prevents us from experiencing God's power and plan for our lives. Again, at the retreat, we were talking about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, empowering us to be obedient to God and to do what he wants us to do. In Ephesians 4.30, though, it says that when we sin, it grieves God's spirit. And so we can't experience him working powerfully through us. So God does forgive me, and I am saved, and that relationship is secure. But sin is still a big deal. It's not just something to just blow off like, oh, oh well, it's just this little sin. So your relationship is secure. Your relationship is secure, but your fellowship is on the line. The correct view of sin. So I don't want to be on either extreme, guys. I don't want to be on this extreme that says it's no big deal, and I don't want to be on this other extreme that lives in self-condemnation. Those are both wrong. Here's the correct view. The correct view of sin is don't shrug it off. Austin is my accountability partner, one of my best friends. And I love Austin because... I'll tell him, hey, Austin, you know, I had this thought today or something like that. But it wasn't really that big of a deal because I stopped it and I didn't let it go any further, you know. And this happened one time. Austin writes me back and he goes, Nate, it's still sin. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And I confessed it, you know. He's so good to say, look, sin is sin. Don't tell me just the beginning of a thought process wasn't that big a deal. That beginning of a thought process was sin. It's still sin. And we need to see it that way. So don't shrug it off. Don't live in self-condemnation. Acknowledge it and all it produces and see it with the gravity God does. Hate it and fight it. That's that, like all those verses, I want to see my sin and have that kind of hatred for it. God, destroy it. Cut it to pieces. Let death feed on it. I want to see it with that same sense of Urgency and gravity that God sees it with. In Psalm 36, 1 through 2, it describes a sinful man or somebody that's that's in a pattern of sin. And it says, There is no fear of God before his eyes, for in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. And I think that's kind of where we can get real easy as humans. We can flatter ourselves. I'm pretty good. I'm not out there killing anyone or raping anyone. I'm not robbing anybody's. We can flatter ourselves, and we can compare ourselves. And compared to Hitler, I'm great, you know. But compared to Jesus, I'm terrible. So we can flatter ourselves and think we're not that bad. And what it says here is that when we do that, we can't even detect or hate the sin that's in our lives. And that's what I think is a danger. I want to be able to be sensitive to God, not just flattering myself. At a point where I can detect my sin and then hate it. Acknowledge it and hate it. Recognize it and say that is wrong and I hate it. And God, destroy it. God, take it. Once I acknowledge it, once I, once I have God's heart about it, and I recognize, man, this is not a small thing. This is something that, that is breaking my fellowship with God. It's affecting me and the people around me. Once I come to that point, I can confess it. First John 1 John 1.9. This is the most beautiful verse in the whole Bible probably for all you Christians says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Even if you've fallen in that area 10,000 times, he still forgives you. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness, every single bit. He sees you as holy, and he sees you as perfect through Jesus Christ. It says in Hebrews that you can approach his throne with confidence and with boldness because of the forgiveness that you have in Christ. Desire purity. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. That reminds me of Joseph. When he ran Potiphar's wife because he didn't want to have anything to do with that sin. She was saying, let's have sex. And he runs. He doesn't sit there and think, how am I going to fight this temptation? I mean, by the time he could have thought that, he was out the door already. So he was running from it. He desired purity. He desired to have God's heart in his own heart. So once you've confessed it, once you've had God's heart for it, once you've desired purity, walk in God's sufficient mercy and grace, guys. His mercy is new every morning. His grace is completely sufficient. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But it's totally sufficient for us, guys. And when you're walking in that, fix your eyes on Him, knowing that the victory is in Him alone. We don't have victory over sin by trying hard not to sin. We have victory over sin by acknowledging that it really is a big deal and then getting our eyes on Christ and letting Him change us from the inside out. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So throw it off, put it behind you, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You can't do this on your own, guys. You just You cannot do this on your own. If you try to do this on your own, you will fail every single time. You have to have His Holy Spirit changing you from the inside out not you doing it on your own. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. That should encourage you. I'm not going through anything that my brothers and sisters haven't gone through. And in fact, Jesus went through every temptation that we've ever been through. So no matter what crazy temptation you've ever had in your life, Jesus had that same temptation. But he was sinless. He was able to say no to it. And now the very spirit that was in Jesus enabling him to say no... That same spirit of God is in you. So no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And I read this at the retreat, but it's so awesome. Ezekiel 36:27. God says, I will put my spirit in you so you will obey my laws and do whatever I command. See, his Holy Spirit is in your life as a Christian. If you've accepted his free gift of salvation, his Holy Spirit is in your life. And he is going to help you have victory over sin. But you have to allow him every day. And again, allowing him goes back to this mindset. That's repentance, is changing your mind. Repentance literally means just changing your thinking. It's not doing a 180 in your actions. It's changing your thinking. You know, how do we change our thinking? We get in God's word. Let him transform us by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. He transforms our thinking. That's repentance, which is the cause of all of our actions. You think before you act. So as we let him really change our thinking, he then changes our actions. So he's going to put his spirit in us to transform our thinking so that we can begin to think like Jesus and act like Jesus. And then in Jude 1.24, I love this. It says he will keep you from falling as you allow. He's capable, guys. He's capable of keeping you from falling. I want to encourage you guys tonight to have God's view about your sin and not to just brush it off or to live in self-condemnation, neither of those. To see it for what it is, to acknowledge it's terrible, to have that heart that David had for his enemies, God destroy it, rip it up, cut it into pieces, let death feed on it. And then at the same time, being able to confess it and walk in grace and mercy. And keep your eyes on Christ, trusting he's going to make you who he wants you to be. And remember in Second Peter, it talks about how God is patient with you. 2 Peter 3.9, not wanting anyone to perish. So be patient with yourself, too, through that process. So I have just a couple application points here for you. And think this through, guys. Think it through. I want you to really go home and remember this one. Think of a sin right now that is keeping you from your next step with God. This is the second talk on sin this semester. I know everybody's like, oh, why do we have to talk about this so much? But but it's so good. The reason I want to talk about this, guys, is because we can live in victory, guys. We can live the life that God wants us to live. And, And he's given us the power to do it. So I hope that we really will. So think of a sin right now that is keeping you from your next step with God. And maybe this is a sin that you've struggled with for years. Maybe it's something that's just come up recently. But I know you all have one because I know all of us will have different things preventing us from taking the next step that we need to take in our walk with God. Think of that sin. Now acknowledge in your mind the gravity of it. I want you just to think through what this has done in your life. What physical consequences has it had in your life? How might it have affected other people or how you relate to other people? How has it prevented you from fellowshipping with God and from having intimacy with God? How has that guilt and shame kept you from growing closer to him? How has it stopped you from stepping out in areas that God's called you to step out? Like maybe God's called you to share your faith, but you're too ashamed of that sin to really go share your faith. I mean, that's a big deal. So maybe people aren't hearing the gospel because of that. So really acknowledge the gravity of it in your mind. I think that's a big issue. Acknowledge this is a big, big deal. Now, okay, right now, confess that to God and ask him to destroy it. Ask him to just rip it to pieces, to cut it into shreds, to let death feed on it. Guys, if you just confess that sin to God, he's thrown it as far as the east is from the west. That's infinitely far away from you. He sees you as perfect and holy through Jesus. Knowing that, begin walking in freedom. Galatians 5.1 says that he's made you free. And it says, so don't be enslaved again. Keep your freedom. So keep your eyes on Jesus in this freedom. Keep your eyes on him. And trust him to change you from the inside out. Don't try to do it on your own. Just draw near to him, James 4.8. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Just continue drawing near to him and let him change you from the inside out. And then here's the last application point. This is get a friend to keep you accountable. You guys all in here have somebody that you came with tonight or somebody that you know, that you respect, that you love, and you guys can get them to keep you accountable. If you can't find anybody in this room, ask me because I'd love to do it, or Erin, she'd love to do it too, or Russ, or Linda. (laughs) But anyway, is that good, guys? I hope it encourages you. The reason I want to talk about it is not to make you feel bad, but it's to let you know that 100% victory is not only possible for you, but it's God's plan for you. And that is awesome. That is really awesome.